everyone. Welcome to this week's special edition of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. This episode is the first of a four-part series of community conversations on race. All four parts are releasing today and were originally hosted by Reverend Donna Covington, Vice President of Formation at Asbury Seminary. These recordings are also available as a video series at thrive.asburyseminary.edu, but we wanted to make them available to you in podcast form as well. Today's conversation discusses kingdom leadership. In this episode, Reverend Donna Covington leads a conversation with Reverend Dr. Charles Savage, Mr. Steve Moore, Reverend Dr. Joanne Lyon, and Dr. Joseph Harris on kingdom leadership to discuss racial injustice from a leadership perspective and how we can listen, learn, and lead in these times. Let's listen. Hello, friends. I'm so grateful for you and for those joining me today in our uh, community conversation on topics around race and what's happening in our country. We've all witnessed, even on national TV, the senseless deaths of Hamad Avery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Collectively, we're grieving as the body of Christ and a nation over these deaths that represent the injustice and racism that continues to plague our country. To help us process and comprehend together the current events, today we'll be discussing racial injustice from a leadership perspective and how we can lead through times like this. Many of you are either leading or will be leading in your organizations and or churches. Some of you are not exactly sure how to lead or what to say during these times. And our goal is to understand how we as the body of Christ can reflect and respond in a way that honors God. My name is Reverend Donna Covington, and I serve as the Vice President of Formation here at Asbury Theological Seminary. I will be your moderator today, and I'm joined by a distinguished panel of guests who are going to lead through our conversation today. Many of them uh, are leaders in their own right still and bring many, many years of leadership experience to our conversation today. We have Dr. Joanne Lyons, who is the Ambassador and General Superintendent Emeritus at the Wesleyan Church. Dr. Lyons has served as the CEO of World Hope International, a Christian relief and development organization, until her election as General Superintendent of the Wesleyan Church in 2008. Dr. Lyons serves on the Board of Trustee here at the seminary. We're also pleased to have Dr. Joseph Harris, who is the assistant to the Bishop and Director of Communication Ministry at Oklahoma Conference of the United Methodist Church. Dr. Harris also serves on the Board of Trustees here at the seminary and he is chair of the Board of Trustees. We're pleased to have Dr. Steve Moore who is the CEO of the MJ Murdoch Charitable Trust. Dr. Moore has served in several different senior leadership positions in education and other places. And he's been in one of those positions, he even here at the seminary. 
Dr. Moore is also a member of the Seminary Board of Trustees. We also have Reverend Charles Chuck Savage. Chuck is a retired elder in Full Connection United Methodist Church. Reverend Savage entered the ministry after a successful 32-year career at IBM, so he and I have something in common. He has also served as the senior pastor of several United Methodist churches, and Reverend Savage serves also serves as on the board of trustees here at the seminary. Welcome to everyone. Thank you so much for joining me today for this important topic with uh, what's going on in our country today. So let's just jump right in in the time that we have and get started. Um, as I was thinking about this, I'm sure that you have faced crisis before in all the various areas where you have led. So crisis management may not be new to you, but as a leader, what model or process have you used when you're leading people and organizations through a time of crisis? You know, one of the things that occurs to me is that oftentimes we learn a lot about leadership uh, when we have the privilege of observing someone else's leadership style. And where that began for me goes back to the early 60s when the civil rights demonstrations were going on. And I had the opportunity to, to be a part of that. And the conversations that went on around how uh, nonviolence had to be a part of that. And I guess the thing that I learned from that is that, that somehow or another nonviolence brings a non-anxious presence into the world. And, uh, um, and, and, and I think that, that when crises occur, we have people who are able to bring that non-anxious presence so that at least there can be a discussion that goes on around what the real facts are and what the issues are. That's great, thank you. Others? I think that's so good. And I think coupled with that also is not to be afraid of your own, your own pain that you're experiencing. Uh, I think of the words of Jeremiah, uh, where he said, uh, my heart is crushed and I have horror in my soul. Uh, th those are the very feelings that I had um, when I first uh, saw the, the uh, videos of uh, Mr. George Floyd and then the others that certainly have happened in this. I just finally, you think things cannot get worse, but they do. And, and the, the evil that is so surrounded here. Uh, so I think there's that, 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 that we, we, we express the pain that we are feeling because if we don't, we aren't giving any empathy to anyone else. Mm -hmm. But it's also there's hope. And later on, a couple, it takes a couple of chapters because Jeremiah really goes, he just can't quit. You know, his, his heart is just, uh, just broken beyond compare. And finally, a couple of chapters later, then God speaks, God finally speaks, you know, and, and I wish God would speak sooner. I'm sure Jeremiah thought that too. God just takes a long time. Uh, and, but then God finally speaks and says, the Lord declares, you know, I know he begins to say, I hate uh, what he, but I declare that I will boast. I will not boast in riches. I will not boast in, in power. I will not boast in all of this, but I boast with the person who 
defense righteous is speaks for righteousness and justice. That's what the Lord says. So I think in that midst of our pain, uh, we also bring hope, but we share that pain because every everyone's in pain. And as you lead, you cannot uh, pretend that you don't have any pain with it. So part of that is pain, but with hope. I guess for me, um, I learned how and continue to learn how to deal with crises actually from my mother. I can recall uh, when Martin Luther King was assassinated and Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. She just immediately fell to her knees, sought God's still small voice, and then went to the word. Those were her first things that she did in the midst of crisis. And I just learned from that, from this, from that point on, that when I deal with either crisis personally or I see crisis in the world, I drop to my knees, I try to listen to God's still small voice, and, then, and I try to seek Him in the word, word. And then from that, I seek help, either through counsel of others or through self-examination, so that I can move towards a time of restoration, a time of forgiveness, a time of repentance and a time of reconciliation. I just think that having that process for me makes all the difference in the world. Uh, what I would add is that in uh, leading a crisis, I think we've got to prepare for before we're in a crisis. I think that having, being very clear about the mission, the vision, the values, uh, and having conversations before you get to a crisis uh, helps immensely. Uh, and I know that, uh, I think it was Dwight Eisenhower said that uh, plans when you go to war are useless, but planning is invaluable mm. because whatever you planned, it's not going to be that way. It's going to change. And, and so you've got the planning though, in a sense, gets you into the modality of thinking and scenario planning and that kind of thing. And I, I just want to echo what Joanne said. Uh, I think that being transparent and honest is just really a critical piece uh, to say and, and to recognize, uh, but to also uh, not be afraid to, to say, uh, we are going to move forward uh, in the midst of this crisis. We may not be 100% sure the steps that we're taking are all the right ones, but we will adjust. We will adapt and to do that. I think that's a, an important uh, vulnerability to be willing to recognize. I think all of you have talked about, um, based on your experience, you do have a model you work through. And you do have a process that you work through and the importance. And that was your point, Steve, of thinking about that, doing that scenario planning, uh, having great counselors, being transparent, being vulnerable, um, being able to say, I may not know all the answers, but we will get through this together. So let's build upon this a little bit. How has this crisis been different? than what you've experienced in the past. So it feels like, uh, Chuck, you and I were talking about this uh, earlier in the week. It feels like we have a perfect storm. We have the coronavirus. 
we, which has brought economic financial crisis. We have over 100,000 deaths of people in the United States, which we're still trying to process our way through. Uh, we have people struggling with just basic human needs, food and shelter and uh, health and health insurance, if you don't have health insurance in our company. And the stress from being isolated, from being outside of community have all contributed as we now, as you so you said it so well, Joanne, have watched in horror mm -hmm. a man murdered on the streets of one of our cities. People could be experiencing a lot of loss of hope. Mm -hmm. So as we talk about part of our process and model we use, uh, Joe, you brought this in. I think, Chuck, you brought it in is we always, as the body of Christ, have to have hope. Um, but we're now in a nation that has suffered tremendously. And how do we help as leaders? How do, we, how do you as a leader help that message of hope as you work your way through your process and model? I believe that uh, we as, as Christian people have to model what we, we would like to see others also uh, engaging. Someone once said that uh, we have to behave like resurrection people who live on a Good Friday. And, uh, and it just seems like Good Friday is around us a lot uh, uh, lately. Uh, but uh, uh, as resurrection people, uh, we're people of hope, we're people who are committed to helping others, particularly those who suffer. Uh, we're people who stay positive uh, when the world wants to be negative all the time. And uh, we look forward, not sideways or backwards. Uh, we learn from history, but we're not captive to history. And if we can uh, model those things for, for, for those who, who look to us uh, for leadership and for guidance, uh, I think we could help a lot of people continue to move uh, the ball forward. You know, I pick up on what uh, Joe says. Um, I'm, I'm wrestling with Psalm 46 today, and uh, it talks about the mountains crumbling and, 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 and the falling into the sea in form. And then it gets down to a point, we speak about this hope, and it talks about we get to the point where uh, God will cause the wars to cease. And, uh, and, and there's a phase we generally quoted as, be still and know that I'm God. One of the translations that I've read says that it probably said better, relax and trust God because he'll carry you through to the other side. And, um, and I think that's a part of the hope that we have, that we have to offer. Um, the other piece of this is that I think that there's a, uh, we have to get out. And I think this goes back to something that Joanne was talking about. We have to get out of the I'm okay, you're okay world. And we have ourselves to say no the things are things are not good and let's be honest and and be willing to be vulnerable and share those things so that we can get truth out on the table i agree with what you all have said and i just like to say that hope is hope is action also uh it isn't just uh standing back and a vague hope uh it's 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 it, and that this is where we need God's guidance in the, the hope that we, we know 
that God cares for righteousness and justice. And so that's his heart. And so I think as we are trying, as we lead the church in this, we have to know how he wants us to lead it because everybody's going to have some kind of an answer on how this happens. But how is it God's righteousness and justice? Of course, I love Amos words, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness is an ever failing stream because it takes both. It's at that nexus of righteousness and justice that transformation takes place. Uh, and so how do we hear God that we can lead uh, people in the, in that way, uh, in that process? Um, and I, I, you know, Chuck, you have been in Psalm 46. I, when the, when the, um, the COVID crisis started, I got stuck in Psalm 137 about hanging my harp on the willow, you know, and, uh, uh, and and I and they mourned and they wept, you know, because they kept remembering. And I kept hearing from our church leaders, oh, remember what church used to be like when we got together, you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, and sat around with that. Uh, and then God began to show them how to operate and what to do. And of course, we know the end of the story. And ultimately, we know the end of the story is Jesus, you know, <laughs> and uh, and we can then take our harps off that old willow and begin to sing. Um but I, but there's a process there that we have to lead people in, and that's where I think it becomes difficult. But, but it's hope because God's going to take us through it. You know, Joanne, one of the things that I hear in what you're saying is, and and, and for you, some people may not know, I'm a Trekkie, and uh, that begins, you know, with boldly going where no one has gone before. Oh yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> We're, we're, we're in a place where that's what we need to do. We need to allow and trust God to lead us to places that we have never been before. That's right. And, uh, and I think this is a huge opportunity that God is putting in our place to lead uh, and to do that. I agree. And, and, and really, church, the church and, and the Lord is the only hope. It's the only place. We're reaching people today that we would not have reached right. had not COVID come. That's right. Um, it, 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 one of my friends uh, spoke about a situation. He's, he's a pastor in Alabama, and he had somebody from South Carolina join his church. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And Steve, you're not leading in the church. You're leading uh, the Burdock Trust um, some many people are going to be leading as Christians in the body of Christ right. outside the church. They're going to have people coming to them and saying, you know, I hear you. I, I understand Christians like lament. I understand that we stay in these places. But what do we do after we share our words of hope? How do we lead change? Mm-hmm. Um, I have people calling. I have people calling me now, emailing me, texting me, saying, "Okay, so what can we do? What can we do now?" When we hear that bubbling up in our organizations and the people that work and lead in our organizations, how do we help them? What do we say to them? That's a great question, and I. In, in one sense, I want to build on something Chuck said about boldly go, you know, where no one's ever gone before. I think the other uh, part of that is to not forget 
that people have been in these places before and to learn and go back. And uh, we tend to be people with short memories mm -hmm. and we need to uh, remember. That's one of the most mentioned words in the Bible is remember. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in this particular case, I went back and listened to a talk Martin Luther King had given at Stanford University in 1967. It is amazingly prophetic, amazingly prophetic, mm -hmm. and gives words and framing that are just so helpful, so wise, uh, amazing. And then uh, I went to a, a talk that I'd heard Lecrae, the hip-hop artist, give, uh, and he was being interviewed by Gabe Lyon, uh, and people could go Google that. And Lecrae just, I mean, was so articulate and so helpful at, with framing and understanding and, and addressing some of the, uh, the things around uh, this. So, you know, I think that those kinds of things are extremely helpful. I mentioned to you all that at our church, uh, we had read Psalm 9 and had a reading that went with it and shared with you all. And it was just so helpful uh, because it just it gave words. And I think that's uh, just an important thing. And the only other thing I would add is I have a small group that I'm a part of and we meet weekly and and we've met weekly for 13 years. And so uh, the thing I would say is that's one another one of those things you've got to do beforehand and you've got to have that. And they've walked with me through crises before. And we've walked with each other through crises and family and work and the city. And so you, you have to uh, kind of, that's the value of, of investing and building relational capital uh, in the community and, and in your own life. Let me add to what Steve was saying. I think a, a part of what he is saying, and I think all of us have said is that <clears throat> there's also needs to be an inherent self-awareness of our own racial biases. And uh, racial biases uh, have have little to do with just skin color, because we can have racial biases and be people of color uh, doing that also. But if we become aware of it and understand it, then it puts us in a position to become advocates, advocates for change. People always ask, well, how do we get rid of institutional racism? Well, one, you become self-aware, and two, you become an advocate. So you become an advocate when whatever institution uh, that you're in, you say no when you hear things that are that are wrong, and you become an advocate for legislative and structural changes that that have been keeping people uh, either stuck or uh, out, out of the system uh, because of history and, and 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 long traditions of doing things the way we've always done them. And uh, all of us know uh, whenever we want churches to change, uh, we ought to, uh, we continue to encourage them to, well, we just need to be different. But we have another group that says, no, we need to be like we used to be. And we have to keep pushing each other and then seek the Holy Spirit to, 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 to find out, uh, to, to make sure we're one, going in the right direction, but two, that we're bringing people along with us so that we're not either too far ahead of them or too far behind and know that change is inevitable because we're, we're actually people of change. Resurrection people are people of change. And, uh, and so we're advocates for change. And uh, uh, it, it just, it, I'm just so grateful as we have these kinds of conversations 
that they are not conversations we end when the crisis is over, but places that we continue to go to uh, in various different people we encounter, institutions we're a part of, and groups that uh, we interact with. You know, Joe, you know, what you just said is, is right. And, uh, but part of it in the white community, we in the white community need to be educated on the systemic issues. Uh, it's unknown. Much of it is unknown. Um, and that becomes one of the first things that I think the church can begin to do is to become educate white. Because I, I'm hearing the word systemic change, systemic change. But I've asked some of my white pastors, well, what? tell me what that means. I don't know. But, you know, <laughs> so there needs to be that education that uh, has happened all the years, all the years that have made this constant disparity uh, with that. So I agree with you totally. Joanne, you know, I, I pick up on this, and it's something that Donna said that this, this that, that what's happening gives us an opportunity to do that. Uh, the calls that she's getting, I'm getting very similar calls to those, and and I won't name, but at least one other board member of Asbury and I have committed. Somebody who doesn't look like me, we have committed that we are going to be in a conversation. Uh, uh, for however long it takes to get to the foundation of this, because, you know, the, the, the point is that he has a view and I have a view. And because of what Steve talked about, the other America, those cultures are different. And we need to understand how we get to a point that we understand that we're both resurrection people. And I kind of think that this is a small group or a one-on-one -on -one kind of deal because you're not going to stand up in, a, in front of a church and convince a bunch right. of people to change their heart. It, it, it has to be where we get vulnerable with each other. Well, I think all of you in a really great point here. Uh, Steve, you started it with, there are a lot of voices that are happening right now. So there's social media, there's the media. Uh, there are people blogging, there are articles being written. There are a lot of voices uh, that we can be listening to, lots of podcasts, and on, you all have the so on and so on. One of the questions that I'd like to ask is, whose voice can we help people listen to? So who we listen to helps shape us, form us, or deform us. So as you talk about education and resources, um, talk a little bit more about how can we help our organizations, our churches, start to get their hands on really great resources, uh, whether that's podcast or whatever. And who are you listening to? What voices? Who's shaping um, your influence as leaders uh, through times like this? Yeah, that's a great question. I'll I'll kick us off here because one of the things that I think is important to note is that this is a what I would call a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, and I was talking with some young people last night who said who wanted to just let's fix this thing. And I, you know, said there are changes that we can make but this is going to take time 
And that's not going to be satisfying in the short run, but it's going to take time. It, it got here uh, after 400 years. It doesn't get fixed in a week. And it actually has been present in the human race for 6,000 years. Uh, and it doesn't get fixed in a week. And so, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. I think you've got to develop some of the voices that help you process and think ahead of time. And so, you know, I'll tell you real practically, I opened up a conversation group uh, several years ago with some people of color in a lunch group. We meet, meet on a regular basis uh, there, and we just have very frank discussions. And the very first time we met, I just said, can we give each other permission to ask things and say things that may not be framed just right and help one another as we navigate that. And uh, if we, if anybody doesn't want to come back to lunch next time we meet, that's okay. But that's, that's what I need in this lunch group. And immediately everybody said, I'm all in. I'm all in uh, because they were hungry for those kind of conversations too. I'm in the process right now of reading a book, and I, I don't remember, I can't say the author's name, but it's called Stamp from the Beginning. And uh, it is a history of racism, and it goes back to the 1500s and talks about how the Puritans brought it to America and, 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 and all of those kinds of things. And, um, and it's just really, really eye-opening uh, for me. Uh, from that standpoint. So, uh, Chuck, I'll just add to your um, uh, bibliography that you've helped us to start with. Uh, two books that have been foundational for me, uh, even though, I, and I've read them several times. One is Eric Farner's The Second Founding, which talks about the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to the Constitution. Now you say, well, why, why, why is that interesting? Because that ended up forming Reconstruction Era and uh, and all the things that 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 went around uh, trying to go around the Constitution, try, try, trying to not follow those uh, constitutional mandates. So that's an important part of our history. And then related to that is Isabel Wilkinson's Warmth of Other Sons, in which she talks about the black migration from the south to the north, which was immediately followed the, following the, what I would consider the failure of Reconstruction because of, of the unwillingness to abide by the laws uh, that, that, that were put there. In some ways, I think we're beginning a new Reconstruction era. And the question is, will we have people uh, to, to try to circumvent that like they did the original one, or are we at the point now in this country where there are enough voices, not just African-American voices and a few other voices out there, but enough voices to help us to move forward? And will the church be in the center of this? Uh, because I've always felt like the church has always been a key to this country in a lot of different places and a lot of different issues, but particularly in this issue. And how do we as a church and those who are trained to be leaders in the church help to move us all forward? Joe, I, you expressed exactly what I've been thinking. I haven't heard anyone else talk about it regarding Reconstruction. And I thought, in a sense, here's our new opportunity again. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and again, those very words that you just said have been in my heart. Uh, is the church going to stand up this time or are we going to go back again? Uh, 
And um, and are we going to stand up for justice and righteousness? And are there enough strong voices that will move us in this direction? Uh, yes, I, I have been, that has been in my mind uh, a lot recently. Uh, well, Howard Thurman is a person that I love to read. And, uh, uh, and I've just been reading again about his whole piece about hate, uh, that uh, what, how hate can so destroy us and, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and, and then uh, certainly Martin Luther King's works. Uh, but I've also been intrigued with the whole um, piece of, of, of uh, black spirituality and Barbara Holmes' book on uh, Joy Unspeakable. And uh, she goes clear back to the 1700s um, and, um, and talks about the hush arbors. Uh, and uh, down in South Carolina, where the, they would hang up the heavy blankets and so they could pray and pray for God to deliver them from this. And I think about that. I cry then because I, my history in my church, Wesleyan Church, we were abolitionists. And so the abolitionists started uh, late uh, in the 18, mid 1800s. And I think of all that they did. And there was a statement made in North Carolina that there were not enough nooses to hang all the Wesleyans they wanted to hang. Um, but, uh, but you know what? We failed after that. You know, we, we, we went back into our own corner. We didn't follow on through uh, after, after those times. But I also think about when she writes about those prayers, I thought about that God did answer those prayers, you know, a uh, hundred years later or, or 80 years later, maybe is the long prayer. But I think about those enslaved folks who were praying in the hush arbor and God heard their prayer and people responded. So I thought since that time, okay, we praise our abolitionists, but the real people to be praised were the enslaved people that were praying in the, in the hush arbors in South Carolina. You know, Joanne, uh, I, let me just uh, say these two more words to add to what you have said. You know, I, I, I'm sitting here in Oklahoma now and uh, we just got through uh, remembering uh, the 99th anniversary of the Tulsa massacre. Yes. Uh, and uh, next year we'll be celebrating the 100th anniversary. I say celebration, but we'll be recognizing because yeah. nothing to celebrate because uh, 300 people were killed uh, d d during that, that, that time of, uh, of, of discontent. But our, our annual conference is planning on meeting over in Tulsa. We normally meet in Oklahoma City. Uh, because it'll be around the same time as that anniversary. Mm -hmm. and one of the things that we're pushing the conference to, as I am and several other, uh, is that we do more than just remember. We do more than than just uh, go there and say, yeah, uh, uh, we're sorry and, and uh, we repent. All, all the things that w we say with our voice, but we do something with our deeds. Yeah. You know, we're having this discussion about reparations and what that might mean. Right. And I know that's very controversial uh, uh, because people tend to say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. So why am I paying for, for, for their mistakes? But theologically, we always pay for our sins. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it goes through through generations. Right. So one of the questions I think we have to ask ourselves uh, and we'll ask ourselves when we're over in Tulsa next year, what can we do that will be a positive rather than just saying we're sorry? Can we uh, create scholarships? Can we uh, be able to invest somewhere? Uh, how can we help to move, as I said earlier, to move things forward in, in the midst of all this? That's the way, way you break up traditions right. and you break up institutions and things that have always been the same. You do something different and something new that will cause a renewal. Excellent. I agree.
I'll mention just a couple of things that um, that haven't been mentioned yet. I love the resources that, that have been mentioned. They're fantastic ones. And uh, But I'll mention just a couple more. One is the poetry of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who is an amazing poet and uh, just has ways of turning phrases that really are fantastic. A second is a book, and I was looking I have, in my library, I was just going to pull it off, is a book called Living the Questions by Jeffrey Cuse. Uh, Jeff Cuse is a professor uh, at Seattle Pacific University, terrific guy, uh, and uh, just worth uh, uh, connecting with as well. I think it would be great if uh, we could to maybe uh, just each of us submit two or three things to you, Donna, that maybe we could put at the end of this uh, webinar and just uh, as, as potential resources, because I think that's so important uh, to do. And I will welcome that, even if we don't get them all in time for uh, when we're going to air this video, or we can go back and put them up on our website and other places so that people have resources. There are a lot of questions around what can I do? Yeah. How do I use my voice? And this begins to help people start a journey. Steve, I love what you said about conversations. You know, can I embark and go uh, into places that make me uncomfortable to talk with people that I may not be comfortable with and have a safe place? Um, you guys have been just a great joy to be with today. Believe it or not, our time is coming to a close. So if I could try to summarize, and I'm not sure I can do it well, you have, you have given us a blueprint. I mean, we started this with, we lament. We, we feel that deep, deep pain and anguish of the loss of life. Um, we go to that place and we cry out to God. We go in prayer and we ask God for his guidance and uh, for his leadership, for the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us during times of crisis. Then as we cry out to God and, and we express our anger, we, we know that God hears us. He gives us hope that he, uh, the Bible says he bends his ear to hear our prayer. But we also become people of action. We start to do things differently. We engage in conversations and give people safe spaces to say things that may not be comfortable or they can't say them right. I had a student email me today and say, I may not say this right. I had to write her back and say, you said it perfect. We have to encourage people right. that when you don't have the right words, help people as leaders. And I believe that we're at a pivotal point in our nation, a place that we've never been before. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I remember growing up with the riots of the 60s and Martin Luther King and many of the things that we've seen. But in my spirit, Joanne, this feels different. Mm -hmm. We have seen police officers charged mm -hmm. right. with crimes that we haven't seen before. And so you all are helping us process our way through how we're going to lead at this Kairos moment that the Lord has given us. So I'm going to give you one more question 
uh, because all of you serve at Asbury, all of you are part of the board. And our role at the seminary is to equip and to prepare uh, men and women academically, but also spirit-filled and sanctified to go out and spread the gospel. So if we could wrap up our leadership remarks, and this has been wonderful, with just what would you say to students who are going to be transversing their way through this right now, uh, through this crisis, who are here being equipped and prepared and answering the call of God on their life as leaders, experienced leaders, what would you speak into them at this time? If I uh, were to sum it up uh, and I had a student sitting in front of me now, I would uh, encourage uh, that person uh, to develop relationships, particularly with a person that doesn't look like you. And then I would also uh, encourage them to become advocates for the poor and those who are oppressed, those who are left out of society, because they're often the ones that suffer the worst uh, during times like this. I would also have them to teach and be a teacher, both in the church and other places that they go, uh, so that they can teach Christians and others how to be truly reconciled, uh, how to be advocates for justice, and how to speak out uh, for all those who suffer atrocities uh, throughout the world. Joe, you just said my heart uh, and what I believe, and I think that's the leadership that we need to have our students. And then and then I would couple that with what Steve said regarding, I think Eisenhower said it about, you don't have a plan, you, you're planning. Because I've seen many leaders have a great plan and they do that plan at the expense of everybody because that's their plan. Mm. And they aren't listening in the process. We are in process as we are leading. We are in process. What our grand plan may have to change and we have another plan that's at that time. So it would be what you'd said and then to, to be the in the process of planning as we're leading. Great. Chuck, I'll let you go next. First thing I would tell them to do is to develop a diligent and a constant prayer life, to be close to God, to allow God to speak into their hearts and into their minds. And the second thing I think I would say is in and I think I shared this with Donna a couple of days ago. Uh, my son said to me on, on one occasion, he said, you know, there is no comfort in our growth zone and there is no growth in our comfort zone. So I would encourage them to move into a place where they feel uncomfortable and, 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 and begin to work through those kinds of things with with somebody who doesn't look like them or somebody who's culturally different than they are. Um, and I guess that would be, uh, be the thing that I would say to them. Mm. I love that. I love all of them so much. Uh, I just think uh, of Micah 6, 7, and 8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. And I think that uh, you know, we're all being formed and hopefully being formed in the likeness of Christ uh, so that each of us will be a unique, unrepeatable expression of the miracle of God in flesh working and living in, in, on this earth. And so I think that's uh, our call. And it's a, 
it's a long obedience in the same direction. I'll just uh, echo that great Eugene Peterson and uh, Ecclesiastes phrase one more time. Mm-hmm. You know, go one ahead. of the thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Donna. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, I was just going to say one of the passages of scripture that came to my mind as we were were stumbling, we were going through this, uh, is the one that comes from Isaiah 59 where it speaks about um, justice being far off and truth having stumbled in the marketplace. And uh, I think that, that that's, that's a place that we are, but, but even Isaiah ends up with hope on the other end of that. Chuck, don't you think we're in a moment where a lot of people despair and, and that the hope that we have is such it's such an opportune moment in our culture, it seems. Don't you think? Absolutely. We're, we're, as Joe said so well, we're, we're, we're not Good Friday people. We're Easter Sunday morning people. And that makes all the difference in the world. We know how the story ends. That's a good one. I like that. Well, I'm, I'm going to wrap us up here uh, because that's a great note to end on. I want to say thank you so much to all of you for sharing your hearts, for sharing your experience with us today. And for those watching, I hope that you've been blessed, that you were able to get resources and tools and ways for you to lead as you're going through these current events. Let's be sure that we're sharing and talking with each other and we're leading in a way and we're listening in a way that is inclusive of the body of Christ to give God honor. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you will continue to join us as we continue in conversations around the church and race. God bless you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's community conversation on race, discussing kingdom leadership hosted by Reverend Donna Covington. The next three episodes that are also out on our podcast today continue the conversation discussing in two parts theology and race and church leadership. So make sure to give a listen to the rest of those in this series. And if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast and your favorite podcast player and follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.